Welcome to Nathan's School of Thought. I'm Nathan Walker, Global Performance Coach, here to share principles gleaned from decades of teaching, training, and coaching on four continents. Whether you're a senior executive, salesperson, new parent, military leader, artist, musician, head of a nonprofit, or a student, it doesn't matter who you are, only who you can become. Join me each week to have your brain flipped upside down as we move together toward a happier, healthier, and much more productive life. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Nathan's School of Thought. I was thinking the other day about my childhood, which I often do because people say I'm really immature. Actually, nobody says that. All right, my wife says that, but not always, just sometimes. Anyway, I was thinking about when I was a kid and how different my life was then from what it is now. Completely different. As I look around the place I live, I never thought I would live here. When I think about experiences I've had, I can't imagine that I've had them. And new ones just keep coming. This really started this morning when I was on a call with some friends from India. India. I was fascinated with India as a child. I listened to songs and poems about Gunga Din, learned about Mowgli in the Jungle Book, and just had a fascination with India. In fact, the last time I was there, I was on a little trip out to the countryside on a weekend and stopped at a little place to stretch my legs and get some refreshment. And there, along the side of the river, were people washing laundry and doing some other things. I remembered the words, the great, gray, green, greasy Limpopo River. Now you get to figure out what that's from. I never, ever dreamed that my life would include any experience like that. As a child, I was almost pathologically shy. I can remember being in the room at parent-teacher conference and listening to my teacher explain to my parents that if something wasn't done soon, I would blip out like the dot on an old TV when you turned it off. I was afraid to talk to anybody. I was afraid to introduce myself. I just kind of huddled in a corner, at least figuratively, hoping that the world wouldn't hurt me and that I wouldn't have to do anything uncomfortable. I was too small for sports. I was too nerdy to be cool. And I couldn't figure out why anyone would hurt anyone. I scored very well on intelligence tests and scholastic tests and aptitude tests. But socially, I really couldn't handle much. I was afraid of the kids who were bigger than me, and everybody was bigger than me. My teachers were not on my side. My first grade teacher noticed that after I finished my assignments, I had a tendency to daydream. Well, what else was I going to do? My assignments were done. It really bothered her, and she didn't know what to do with this sort of creative, nerdy, artsy little kid. And so in front of the class one day, she announced that for parent night, the thing about which we had been excited for weeks when our parents would come to visit our classroom, she had a special thing for me. She then pulled out a big sign about 14 inches wide and placed it on my desk. The sign just said, SLOW, in big capital letters. My third grade teacher reminded me often that I was not nearly as good a student as my mother had been when she was in her class. And on it went. When I was in third grade, I cut the sleeves off my knitted sweater 
because then sort of the vest type sweaters, you know, the ones with no sleeves and the nice little cuffs around them and the V-neck, they were all the rage. That's what the cool kids wore. And I wanted to be a cool kid. We didn't have any money for a new sweater, so I cut the sleeves off the one I had. It really looked stupid. A girl that I kind of liked asked me where I got it, and I said, well, I made it, meaning I made the part where I cut the sleeves off. She mocked me quite a lot. The only thing that kept me going in third grade was that I had a crush on the prettiest girl in the school. At some point along the way, however, I got the idea that she was my cousin or something, and so I, I couldn't pursue that romantic relationship because we were related, and that would not be appropriate. When I was in seventh grade, we moved to another state. I started seventh grade weighing 64 pounds. I believe I was about four foot eight. I was a trombone player and had a lot of books to carry. And so when I would leave the school to walk home, there was a long hallway I had to pass through. I would have my books stacked in one hand. This is before, you know, cool things like backpacks were invented because we were too stupid back then. I would have a big pile of books in one hand and my trombone in the other with the big long case that was in. Remember, I was very small. The ninth grade boys, who were huge as far as I was concerned, would line up on both sides of the hallway, then shove me back and forth in a zigzag pattern until I made it out the door, always a little surprised to still be alive. Things were not going well. During that time, however, I got comfortable on stage. My family had performed together from the time that I was about four or five. In front of a crowd, I was fine. But the moment the performance ended and I was off stage, I couldn't speak to a soul. It was terrifying. One-on-one -on -one drove me nuts. A big crowd didn't bother me so much. When I was in eighth grade, we moved back to my home state, and I could only face junior high school because that same girl that I thought was so pretty in third grade was now in eighth grade, and she was a cheerleader. Any guy would do whatever he had to do to get to go to a game and watch her. And so I survived eighth grade, still very shy, still hoping nobody would bother me, still nerdy as all get out. It didn't help that I made moccasins and wore them to school every day. I got a leatherwork kit when I was 10 or 11, and I made my own moccasins, and that's all I ever wore on my feet until I was in high school. I read encyclopedias in my spare time. I read the dictionary. I'm not making this stuff up. This was before nerd was cool, or was even a word. And then I did leather work alone. I would spend hours and hours and hours, all by myself in a room with not enough light, tapping away at the tools as I tooled some leather, making belts, wallets, etc. Sometimes I sold them but it was terrifying to approach anybody who wanted to buy one. When I was 15 and started high school, I was playing the drums on a concert. By then, I had taught myself to play the drums, and I was fairly adept at it. There was one portion of the song that was fairly soft as far as vocals were concerned, but there was a little drum solo in there. I was doing my thing, and because the audience was large and they had to set up extra rows out in front, there was a lady sitting closely enough that I could hear what she said to her husband when she said, much too loudly, Look at that! Look at that boy go! 
He can't be more than 10 years old. Look at him play those drums. I was a sophomore in high school. Do you know what it's like to be thought to be 10 years old? The only good thing was that I was offered discounts at the movie theater, but I had too much integrity to take them. Finally. Finally. Not long before my senior year started, I hit puberty. And a switch got flipped. I got tall. I got reasonably nice looking. I had white hair and a dark tan. And people started to notice me, especially the ones that I thought were attractive. I had no idea how to handle that. I was as uncomfortable with popularity as I was with obscurity. I still could not face talking to anybody one-on-one. I remember asking a girl out one time because I really thought I should go on a date occasionally. It took me three days following her back and forth from the parking lot, hopefully not looking like a stalker, to finally work up the nerve to say, Excuse me, do girls like you ever go out with a boy like me? She said yes. She was very kind. I went out with her one time and then was too afraid to ask her again. This kind of discomfort persisted until I was 19 years old when something happened to change it all. I accepted an assignment to go serve as a missionary in Japan. I mentioned this in another podcast, but this shy little nothing kid who spent most of his time only comfortably talking to cows got dropped in a city of 17 million people. Totally out of my element. The interesting thing was that when I would talk to people in Japan, I noticed that they were uncomfortable. That concerned me quite a lot. I didn't want them to be uncomfortable because of me. In most cases, I towered over them. I was more than six feet tall. My Japanese had a weird accent to it, and and the Japanese people are so unfailingly polite that they took it as their fault that we weren't quite understanding each other. I didn't want them to feel uncomfortable. After I had gained some facility with the language, a gift for which I'm grateful and that came to me fairly quickly, I got good enough that I could be funny in Japanese. Funny in Japanese. Like funny enough that a few years later, I almost accepted an opportunity to go back and do stand-up in Japan. But I chickened out because I was a little too shy. It turned out that when I was funny, they were comfortable, and so was I. I realized that what was happening was that I was worrying more about them than about myself. That switch is the best switch you'll ever flip in your life. Spending most of your time concerned about other people covers a multitude of sins, gets rid of a multitude of maladies, and helps with a multitude of insecurities. You are not the same person if the person you're concerned about is the one you're looking at and not in the mirror. The person I was upon my return from Japan and the person I am now would be unrecognizable to someone who knew me as a child unless they had seen me grow up and finally get a life. My gifts and talents are the same. My intelligence is the same. But my experiences continued to accumulate, as have yours. There's no teacher like experience. You know this from your own life. 
Experiences aren't always pleasant, but they are always teachers. After learning that talking to somebody one-on-one probably wouldn't kill me, and being willing to do that for the sake of the other's comfort, I took a job teaching college. I spent lots more time on stage. I performed hundreds of times, probably thousands, to audiences as large as 15,000 in a single event. I traveled alone all over the world. My biggest fear for years and years and years was that I would somehow be required to travel by myself to a foreign place, not even necessarily a foreign country, just a foreign place. But I did it so many times that it became commonplace. Sometimes I would almost forget where I was going. I'd have to check my itinerary. Oh, it's India tomorrow, or uh, London, or Paris, or wherever. My biggest fear became a great joy. I have friends all over the world. New York, London, Paris, Munich, Sydney, Singapore. The list is very, very long. Not just friends, but dear friends. People that I really care about. During all those years of travel, I learned that there were a lot of lonely, uncomfortable people on airplanes and in restaurants and waiting in line at a hotel desk, etc. I learned that it was a great and helpful thing to go out of my way to compliment someone, to show interest in them, to ask about their town or their family. Interestingly enough, I would forget in those moments to be too worried about what they thought of me and instead to learn about them. The greatest way to show love for yourself and for someone else is to pay attention to the person that you're talking to and pay very little attention to you. Experience really is the greatest teacher, but it doesn't have to be your experience. It can be the experience that someone else shares with you. Their heartaches, their aspirations, their business, their life, their history, their concerns. It's incredible how much we can learn from another's experience as well as our own. There are really two people you should love yourself, and the one you're speaking to at that moment. One of the greatest acts of love is to really focus on the other person, give them your attention, and learn from them. Embrace their uniqueness. Embrace their life. Embrace them. Embrace your own hang-ups. Put yourself in uncomfortable situations. Being forced to do that by my arrival in Japan and having chosen to do that in the years following, have changed my life. I can't imagine how much I would have missed had I been unwilling to put myself in uncomfortable situations and learn from it. Put yourself in an uncomfortable spot, then love somebody. Put them at ease. Make them matter. You will not believe how rich your life can be. So. Who would you like to become? What do you want your future to include? What uncomfortable situations could you put yourself in to get there? How will you embrace becoming someone more than you are today? Click the contact link in the episode description and in the notes area. Tell me a little bit about what you would like your life to include, what you really want to become, 
starting from here. You're not finished yet. You're not all of you yet. I want to help you become all of you. Life is too good to miss out on you and on the others whom you will grow to love and serve. I look forward to hearing from you. We'll talk again soon.